Welcome to Swimming with Alligators. I'm Ernest Sweat, and each episode, Alexa Benz and I give you a VC podcast from the LP perspective. You ready? Let's dive in. On today's episode of Swimming with Alligators, we had the pleasure of speaking with Winter Mead, the founder of Cool Water Capital. Winter is a coach and advisor to emerging managers, and I really got the sense that I was talking to one of the more helpful people in the ecosystem. Everything from what operationally you need to be prepared for as a new manager, as well as um, you know who you're up against. Winter told us he sees basically every emerging manager in the market, and so he's got a real eye for who's who's stand out. Yeah, there were so many great nuggets from this episode, but to name a few just to get you enticed to jump in. One, why being a great fund manager is equally as important as being a great investor. Two, the challenges LPs actually face in diligencing managers in this interesting market. And three, what he anticipates will happen to the emerging manager ecosystem. So with that, let's dive right in with Swimming with Allocators. Today, we have the pleasure on Swimming with Allocators to speak with Winter Mead, the founder of Cool Water Capital. Winter is a, an allocator turned advisor. His investment firm, Cool Water Capital, focuses on emerging managers. Winter is a guiding voice for allocators and managers alike. He's the co-founder of the LP transparency movement called Open LP, author of the book, How to Raise a Venture Capital Fund, and operator as I mentioned, of Cool Water, an academy for training emerging managers. Um, We're really excited today for this conversation because we're definitely going to get some training today. So Winter, (laughs) super happy to have you, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ernest. Thanks, Alexa. Um, First question I just want to jump into is, could you just share your journey with us uh, in this world of institutional investments um, and how you came to like, what's the origin story to cool water from all that experience? Yeah. So I won't, I won't go all the way back, but um, I will go back to when I moved to San Francisco it was during the last great recession. And I started working for a few tech startups and that was probably my initial introduction to the substance of venture capital. So how does it actually work? And at the time it was the founder perspective and the VC perspective. And I was like, who are these people giving capital to these other people? And this is like funding these like really cool projects, right? So, um, you know, those people were venture capitalists or angels, right? And that like, it started, you know, pulling on that string. And so this opportunity came up, a friend, uh, she was the wife of another uh, friend I'd gone to school with. Again, this is the lucky part, right? She reached out. And said, hey, we're hiring for this private equity role. So I interviewed a couple of interviews. And because I had done some finance and investing work beforehand, um, I was able to, you know, I guess, get the boxes checked and got hired there. And so I built this perspective Mm -hmm. on venture capital more as like competing with other asset classes. Mm. Right. Um, But I really got excited by venture because looking across you know, other asset classes, there was a true value creation opportunity in venture, right? The, what people will now kind of, you know, colloquially call the zero to one, right? Um, everything else is kind of like one and later, but you know, venture, you can actually like see a problem, try to solve the problem. You've created the solution and it didn't feel like 
that was really going on in other asset classes. It was more financial engineering, which isn't a bad thing, right? And you can be successful and clip yields like with financial engineering, but it, what it, it had a different feel, right? It was mm. kind of like it, venture was its own unique beast, right? So that was the perspective I gained. I got excited about venture over a couple of years there. And I kind of said like VC is like the thing that is like really, really interesting. Um, and so I put the feelers out and got introduced to SAP, which is now Sapphire Partners and kind of got in early there which was interesting for me because it was like a build role as well as an investment role. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I didn't really gain this perspective because it was like, you get plugged in and you're investing, right? Like you're an employee of the firm, you're in, like, you're doing what has already been built. But in the second role at SAP, it was co-building the fund strategy and the yeah. actual portfolio and getting in on the ground floor of the portfolio construction. So it was, it's an interesting curve. It's a more active curve. And I think I see more entrepreneurial LPs seek this out where they're like, oh, maybe I'll go work at a family office that just was created in like the last year or two, or maybe I'll go to this new LP, like new strategy at an existing LP shop where I can like grab the reins and I can define kind of the strategy a bit more and put my mark on it. So that was interesting. And I built the perspective of, you know, building as well as investing. And I realized like how hard the build process actually was and it was hard for us and we had a massive budget, right? So what I started to see, I started iterating on this concept, you know, which is eventually cool water in 2016 of like, what would it mean to be the best coach for mm-hmm. emerging managers? Like, what would that mean? Yeah. Right. Um, and again, like this came from people asking me, right. As an institutional LP, you get a lot of the same questions over and over again. So you're writing those questions down in your little FAQ, like in your little leather binder notebook. And after a while, you're like, wait a minute, I've written that question down like 15 times, like 50 times, 100 times. You're like, wait a minute. So why am I answering this question 100 times, right? That to me, like if you're at least living or if you abide by like a growth mindset, right? Or just like a scalability mindset, you're kind of saying like, maybe I shouldn't answer the same question 100 times. Maybe I should figure out a better way, right? Mm -hmm. And the better way for me in 2018 was writing the book, How to Raise a Venture Capital Fund. I felt like there's this gap of knowledge, right? The same reason why hashtag open LP was interesting to create because like there's all these disparate sources of information out there. And like, how can you consolidate all that? So you get yeah. the information, you still have to implement the information, right? And then, you know, how could I spend time on implementation and co-building rather than just like spending time delivering information? Like the, again, like the 101 versus the 201. And so the book kind of solved a lot of, at the time, you know, what people were asking me, I could just say like, Hey, you know, check out the book. You know, I'll even give it, give it to free, like give it for free if you want. Um, and so that kind of felt like it was solving a information disadvantage that emerging managers had, mm-hmm. you know, and then I started thinking, okay, what are my gaps, right? You write a book, you kind of have to know what you're writing about, or hopefully know what you're writing about. But it felt like the gaps were on like the CFO side, the COO side, like how does an, uh, a firm actually run, right? Yeah. Um, and there's these different functions at a VC firm. Um, it's not only investing, right? And I started to gain that perspective a little bit when I was kind of helping build out the business processes and the investment processes and developing the templates that you'd use for, you know, investment diligence and operational due diligence. And so I was like, okay, who does that at an emerging manager? And the answer is usually like one person, right? It's the person that founds the firm and like, yeah. it's just like 
all of a sudden realizes that they've become this, like the CXO of like 15 different things. Yeah. Right. And so that felt like a huge disadvantage, especially like on a mission driven level, understanding like, where does innovation come from? Right. So I was like, well, who's helping that company when like they need the most amount of help. Right. So I was consulting, working with like a couple of different funds. Um, I consulted with a company um, and I, I was kind of like, oh, well, funds, if they're really good, they're actually driving impact at like 20 companies at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm helping like two or three funds at a time. So I'm helping 40 to 60 companies. What if I could help like 10 funds at a time or 20 yeah. funds at a time? Right. And so that was the idea behind like, go, like moving into the cohort model, which was like, okay, I, you know, I have this perspective as an institutional investor. I invested a bunch of other people's money, um, you know, somewhat successfully into, you know, a lot of really interesting managers um, that were just like incredible at the craft. And then eventually that turned into, you know, what Coolwater is, which is like training emerging managers, but trying to do it in a curated way with the best emerging managers um, <clears throat> of like the next generation of emerging managers and do that because it's a more scalable way to put managers into business and again, drive greater impact at early stage, which is primarily what, when a lot of what people What all does that manager support. accelerator program look like? So it's grown a little bit. It's multiple programs. There's a core program. And the concept behind the core program is fund management, right? So there's a difference between being an investor and being a fund manager. I think that concept has been iterated on in the last few years and I think is generally accepted. Yeah. Um, and you can be a good investor and not necessarily want to be a fund manager, right? So yes. we won't go into it um, for, for time reasons on this call, but there is another program for investors that we run. Um, and the, the one thing I'll say about that is the important thing for investors, if eventually you want to become a fund manager, is building a track record, right? Yeah. All LPs, whether they tell you or not, want to look at your track record and how relevant it is to the strategy of your fund, right? You're doing supply chain investments. You're doing supply chain angel investments. You want to raise a consumer marketplaces fund. Maybe, you know, you <laughs> want to raise a, you know, crypto fund. Mm, well, show me where crypto was relevant in the supply chain background. You know, you want to raise a supply chain fund. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, now I can start to dig in and say, okay, what is your thesis around supply chain and why does this fund need to exist? And why are you the person to kind of like be at the helm of that fund? So there is like a, like a good investor perspective of like, hey, build a track record that's relevant to the fund you'll eventually launch if you want to do that. Again, it's a much less opinionated program. Um, the fund manager program is opinionated and it says, hey, you want to be a fund manager. You care about fiduciary responsibility. You care about governance. You care about building the right business processes. If that resonates with you, if you want to build an institutional firm, right? You're not building an institutional firm to, you know, jack the amount of bureaucracy that's there, right? Like at your company, right? And just create like the like most amount of business processes where you're just like drowned in filing paper all day, right? Like that's yeah. not the goal of institutional. The goal of institutional is like alignment of interests. It's actually the business processes becoming yeah. more efficient, right? So that you can scale, right? It's like putting in the pieces in place so that you can scale, right? It's the same thing you probably think about when you're investing in a company and whether the company can scale. It's like, can this company scale? Great. You've got a couple of customers. What if this goes to a thousand customers overnight? Like, is it going to break? Right. So if you're an emerging manager fund, Hey, you're 5 million in AUM. 
what if I gave you a hundred million dollar check tomorrow? Are you going to break? Like, how, like, are you set up for success? Like, are you thinking about setting yourself up for success? And it's a different calculation than just an investor, right? That's kind of like, hey, I just need to find great opportunities. It's more a sourcing game and a network game up front. And there's things that like, again, like the institutional journey will care about more so than the investor journey. Obviously yeah. at the heart of it, what I'm not saying is like, you're not yeah, an sure. investor if you're a fund manager. What I'm saying is like, there's a different behavior for fund managers. And so, yeah, this core, core thing really focuses on fund managers that want to understand like the different functions of a VC firm or an investment firm, which are operations, which are fundraising, which are investing, which are potentially value add strategy, right? There's potentially more, but like there's these functions that all of a sudden we were alluding to earlier, they have to jump into and kind of understand really well. And you have to run and set up the right foundation so that you can eventually scale. And like the intention is to scale, right? You don't have to go, this doesn't mean like you have to become a multi-billion dollar firm, but it does mean that you're looking to build a real business that you could potentially walk away from like at some point and that business can still run, right? It's the legacy option of the business, right? Um, which you don't always need to do again, to be a great investor. But I think for this program, that's where the training is focused on is like these people that want to elect into being a fund manager and fund management and like being the CEO of their firms. Now we're going to take a quick break to speak with our sponsor. Now there's so much for today's, you know, GP or managing director of a firm, no matter the size, the business has just become more and more complex. And, you know, I, it's my belief that it's going to become more and more complex as we even see out this, this decade. Um, with that and with the advantages of the electric electronic subscription document core product and KYC AML, there's so many different portions of the, um, or I should say, there's so many um, target customers that you could go after within the ecosystem. Who do, who do you think this is for, or is it? Do you think it's for every type of of GP? Just just curious on that. Pass through is for anybody who's got more than twenty investors, mm. and that's about it. We work yeah. with three hundred billion dollar fund managers. We work with ten million dollar proof of concept funds, and everybody in between. But the moment that you need to move on from something that's a fund in a box kind of strategy where you have discerning LPs, where you want to be able to go use fund formation council, then you need to have something in place to actually go and do this because otherwise you're going to get trapped in higher and higher billable hours. You're going to put forward a, um, you're going to put forward a, uh, an experience for your investors that isn't going to be the level at which you would expect them to get it. And so you need to have a professional, a professional way for them to go interact with you. And so, this has been true of everybody. If you're in venture, if you're in real estate, if you're in private equity, if you're multi-strategy, it doesn't matter. We're moving to a world where everything is electronic subscription documents. One mm -hmm. of the benefits of pass-through is I don't actually care who your fund administrator is or who your lawyer is or whatever technology providers you're doing. By being the one platform focused exclusively on investor onboarding means I can go plug into everything else that you are already working with to make it seamless for how you're going to go out and, and raise. And so this is true if you're going out and putting together a fund with your typical, um, your typical VC tech stack and service provider stack. And just as true if you're going to go out and work with the large banks and uh, trust administrators and custodians and everybody else has the most complex requirements. You know, in doing research um, 
on pass through, I found some really interesting data that you guys compiled on the state of fundraising, which is, you know, the, at everybody's at the top of everybody's mind right now. You surveyed about a hundred uh, U.S. funds. I was curious if you could get, just share kind of the highlights of, of insights that you guys found uh, that would be relevant for, you know, our audience. Well, about 80% of fund managers think that it's really difficult to raise right now, but 80% of fund managers also think they're going to meet or exceed their targets. <laughs> and so that either means they are incredibly good, or maybe there's an element of hubris. And so both are possible. I think that that expectation does reflect some new strategies that they're using, but also expectations for a future macro environment. About seven out of 10 fund managers think the macro environment is going to improve over the next 12 months. And so it'll be a little bit of a tailwind behind them. But we're also seeing fund managers that are pulling out new economic terms. They are, they are changing their fee structures. They are allowing co-investment opportunities. They're feeling pressure from LPs for secondaries and not just secondaries within their portfolios, the ability for LPs to actually be able to exit their LP positions and the fund managers are often meeting it. And so it's a very good time to be an LP right now. Mm -hmm. So when you consider that everybody is pulling out all of the different stops, okay, then maybe that's how they go do it. We're seeing that about half of the fund managers that we speak to are saying, I'm going to go rely on my existing investors more. They're just not going to go out to market. And then we're seeing the other ones say, oh, okay, well, my existing investors are tapped out. I need to go find new investors. And that means I need to go focus on new geographies. It might mean that I need to go focus on a placement agent. It might mean that I need to go focus on a new type of investor altogether. If I'm heavily institutional, I might finally launch my retail strategy. If I've been retail and family office, well, the last few years I've been building relationships with institutional and it's time for me to go take advantage of that. And so managers are doing everything that's in their power right now to find investors that are interested and willing to come into their fund. And it's really forcing them to think differently about what is my strategy, not just to talk about what it is that we do, but get that message to the appropriate groups because the message that works for one group is different than the message that works for another group. Absolutely. I, you know, that's very consistent with like the conversations I'm having both with LPs and, um, and fund managers. Thanks to Tim and the pass through team to find out how to give your LPs a better onboarding experience with pass through, go to passthrough.com backslash swimming. And now back to our LP interview. Over this next kind of like um, stage of venture, do you think people are looking, and I know you have more experience in emerging managers, so we can start there or just look in the overall ecosystem. Do you think LPs are looking for better fund managers or better investors or all of the, all of the above? It's a really great question. Yeah, I think we could debate that for hours. Uh, I do think it has to be both, right? I think the initial filter is looking at like, what have you done as an investor? And I think there's more leniency on you're not the perfect fund manager and you could still invest in a great investor. But I think the, like I said, the intention has to be there, right? Like you don't have to necessarily pass the operational due diligence, the ODD with flying colors, like at fund one, yeah, but yeah. the intention of building into that, right. And managing the compliance and thinking about the alignment of interests and kind of building in that direction like that is pretty important for most people, for most LPs, like if you want to scale. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think given changes in the market, you know, whether you're saying these are new government regulations or state regulations, right? There is this move towards more transparency 
more governance, right? And, and that I think is truly represented in other parts of the alternatives market. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to flow into venture, right? And you know, I'm not here to judge whether or not venture got over its skis in 2020 and 2021. But when you start to see a cottage industry, which venture was 10 years ago, grow into a mainstream vertical where venture used to be tucked under private equity, right? Yeah, and yeah, people yeah. used to not even like call venture out as its own asset class, right? They used to not acknowledge that there were different return drivers and different investment dynamics for venture than private equity. It was just all, all one. And then you can say, oh, venture under private equity. But in the last like five, 10 years, like people wouldn't even make that an argument anymore, right? Like venture is totally its own thing, yeah. right? And now it's like, okay, it has its own nuances. So how do you govern those nuances? And I think that's an interesting conversation that we're having right now. And you're starting to see some of the regulations, new regulations reflect that of what's going on here, right? <laughs> Especially if you know there is a lot of capital, hundreds of billions of dollars being allocated over each investment cycle, right? Two or three years. If hundreds of billions of dollars is moving just in the US alone, moving into venture capital, it's a real thing, right? And so it starts to have to grow up a little bit. And again, that's kind of Cool Water's culture, which is like institutional doesn't mean bureaucracy. It doesn't mean like you have to be a, like, you're losing your you know, essence as an investor. It does mean like, hey, you have to adjust to this new reality. And it makes sense to kind of understand what you need to manage. And let's like identify that, set that up. So you're not spending 80, 90% of your time running ops and fundraising, right? Because then, you know, the big picture thing here is what is alpha for VC, Mm. right? It's being super connected in an amazing network with excellent investment judgment and discretion and like picking assets and helping those assets like develop and scale, right? And if you're not doing that, if you're just running ops because like there's all these new regulations, if you're just fundraising, like that's where I feel like emerging managers have a gap yes. and they aren't properly supported even still, right? Like cool water is scraping and clawing to like, you know, try to help emerging managers, but we're not doing enough, right? Like I feel like we've been impactful so far, but I feel like we're still tip of the iceberg in terms of like, again, helping that innovation layer. The big assumption here is like, you have to care about human progress. You have to care about innovation. You have to care about like technological progress, if you don't care about those things and you're fine with the status quo, then like what we're talking about doesn't, doesn't matter at all. But if you do care about those things, how do you actually help that foundational layer of innovation? Like those emerging managers, right? That invest one to three rounds before the, the big boys, like the big VCs, right? That are, you know, writing these like big checks and coming in to these companies that have already been in existence for a couple of years at the point of investing. And then they, they kind of get the brand association because they have the brands, but there is like this huge, huge kind of like layer of emerging managers that um, are being really, really supportive to founders and companies before those bigger checks are coming in. Um, And I think if they can save time, like to go back to your original question, like if they can save time and run their firms more efficiently, that helps, right? Um, And like every time a fire drill happens for an emerging manager, you're like, oh, like now I got to spend 10 hours researching something, right? What if Coolwater researched it? Right. And crowdsourced it and, and solved the like thing for you. Right. And gave you something that like, you're like, okay, great. Now I need to spend an hour on it. Thank yeah. you. Now I can spend nine hours on sourcing. Right. That creates, I think, real progress. And it's not obvious. Right. It's not like there's a necessarily like a true KPI behind that. But it does, in my view, like if you do enough cycles, you start to see the impact being created and the cycle starting to change scale. 
given the how dynamic the um, landscape is in venture in the venture ecosystem, what are the biggest challenges that LPs face today with assessing talent? There's a lot of noise. Um, and then I just, just from that front, I'm sure like that helps shape what you even build within the curriculum for your managers. Yeah. So the the question is, what are the greatest challenges that LPs face today? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's similar. There might be a, a few differences in 2023 versus a few years ago, but one of the premises of a program like Cool Water is, you know, the world has changed, right? And this is a big reason for kind of starting it this way. Like I felt the first year I didn't, I wasn't able to see like what I thought was every single fund launch in the ecosystem, I think was 2016. I think I met with 504 funds and, you know, we did our offsite and you know, folks yeah. were like, well, that's too many. And I was like, well, you need to know everyone in the market in order to have an opinion on like what the best is. Like, you know, if there's 10 doors and you only open two of them and you know there's gold behind 10 of them, right? And there's gold behind one of the two, you haven't optimized, right? You've under-optimized because you haven't opened the other eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think like the world started to change, fund formation like started to increase. That's an obvious statement, but it got to a point where it changed mm-hmm. how LPs have totally. to operate. Yeah. And most institutional LPs have not adjusted to this mm-hmm. new world, right? They, like when I started investing, call it 2010, 11, you could effectively count every single micro fund on two hands, right? And if like you did throw the dart at the wall, like you were successful, right? Um, it's just like, that's the supply demand dynamics, right? Um, and the pricing dynamics at the time. Um, you know, if you maybe call that like somewhat of a heuristic, like I tried to work really hard and like see everyone in the market, primarily in the US, and it was like 504 funds in 2016. It's only gone up since then. And it really peaked 2019, 2020, 2021. Um, there was even a lot of fund formation in 2022, right? And a lot of dollars being put into, into the venture ecosystem. Um, it's definitely come down now. Right. So the, the problems may have shifted a little bit where the problems kind of over the last call it five years generally was a discovery problem and an underwriting problem. Right. So you had discovery, which was like, I now have thousands of managers. How do I benchmark against the managers? Like, who's the best one? And then a diligence problem, which is like, who who's really good? I haven't invested in a single emerging manager fund. I'm just at the start of my journey. But, you know, someone said venture was interesting at my firm and I've got $20 million to invest. So I'm going to put it $2 million in the 10 emerging manager firms. And I don't know where to start on the diligence side, right? Because I haven't built a fund of funds before. I haven't invested as an LP before. I haven't like um, invested generally into venture, like the different dynamics across other asset classes. So I think those are like two big gaps, especially in like 2020 and 2021. And like there was a level of FOMO in the market of and like perceived scarcity where, you know, folks were just saying like, oh, this looks awesome. You know, I've only seen three opportunities. I've only opened three doors. Like I might as well just like make this bet. Right. But it's, you're again, like you're under optimizing if you don't kind of build a structure to see everything. And Coolwater has like this recruiting process that like we're trying to meet with every single person, every single emerging manager in the world. Right. It's like, it looks very busy. There's a lot of you know, little mice kind of spinning wheels around like <laughs> at the firm, like every day, like, like I'm the, I'm the mouse, but like, you know, it's just like, blah, 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 like trying to like talk with everyone. 
because you want like that perspective. Okay, I'm discovering stuff, but is this like an optimal or is it a suboptimal, right? Mm. I'm now I need to do diligence. Like, how do you do diligence, right? The best way to do diligence is like work with someone, right? It's like a very easy, like, right? You're like doing all these interviews and like you're doing all this posturing. Just like start working with someone, like see if it works. And if it doesn't, like shake hands and say thank you. Like if it does, let double down on each other, right? So I think that was the big problem, um, big problems from LPs in like the last few years. But then like, yeah, it shifted. The market shifted. There's now less fund formation from what I can see from my data, from cool water data. Um, there's, um, and I think that's corroborated by other sources, right? Like there's that famous like pitch book chart now that kind of shows like, look at how small like fundraising for all managers is in 2023. Um, and that, that I think changes the, the equation for how LPs think about it. So whether or not this is a problem, but you know, there's different things that LPs think about now. Um, one is like, are your marks, your actual marks? I think that's the biggest one. Right. So is this a 2x fund because you've already readjusted your marks or is this actually like a 1.3x fund? And I think uh, the perspective that seems to have been lost over the last like decade is you have you, you have funds where like before you could raise your N plus one fund with like a 1.2x and like yeah. LPs in venture were like, yep, it's a long term. I'm going to get 30 percent net IRRs if I just trust the process. But you've kind of moved into this world where it's like, I raised a fund last year. I'm raising a fund this year. I'm raising a fund next year, right? And, and they're like, look at, I'm like at 2X funds. And you're like, well, the expectation, and I do believe the, uh, the performance of some crypto funds changed this as well. Where like, I heard LPs tell me um, a couple of years ago where they're like, 10X is the new 3X. And so mm. we're not even gonna look at equity funds anymore, right? Because like, we're only looking at 10X funds. And those people are now looking at 3X funds again. Um, but like there was this kind of sentiment, right, um, at the peak where it was like, hey, like we, we can't even do equity funds anymore because like we're making so much money over here. Um, I think that has changed where it's like, but there is that like thinking of, right, like you're doing the diligence, you're trying to understand the marks, but you're, you know, there is a, I think a more measured pace now from LPs where it's like, okay, we expect two to three year cycles. We expect the diligence process to be drawn out a little bit more. We expect to have more time to understand what's in your portfolio, right? So again, like if you're an emerging manager, like how do you react to that? A little bit more patience, resetting of the expectations a little bit more, greater transparency, more buttoned up operations. So you, again, like you can do reporting better, for example, right? Like the emerging managers have to adjust to that as well, where it's not just like, hey, I'm going to do a Zoom call and I'm going to get a million dollar check into my fund. It has to be like, I'm doing a Zoom call, the expectation is like that person's going to want to do another Zoom call and then they're going to want to meet in person and maybe they're going to want to come to my office. And like that takes time. It's slightly more frustrating from the GP's perspective, but it potentially and hopefully not potentially, but hopefully leads to better outcomes because there's, there's a, and this is probably happening at the company side as well. There's a bit more diligence going on and therefore hopefully there's a better marriage at the end of the day. Um, so I'm hoping that's hoping that's kind of what 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 plays out but yeah valuations are kind of a big topic of concern and the like how lps are thinking about venture in the greater ecosystem right where if interest rates are low and you're chasing yield venture is very attractive right but if you've gotten over your skis and you could venture is too successful right and all of a sudden interest rates rise in other parts of the alternatives markets like you start to have 
choices, yeah. right? And you know, the funny thing about venture for institutions is if you're too successful, then venture is less interesting for you, which is counterintuitive, right? If you look at the data, the top decile of endowments, right, have the greatest exposure to VC. Um, but if they're too successful, then they're like, well, we have this portfolio management theory and portfolio allocation theory that we have to abide by, right? So maybe this means like we have to trim our portfolio before we add any new managers. So mm. it's funny, the success of venture, it's been so successful. And again, this is like something I don't think is talked about a lot, but venture has been like so successful that it like is too successful where like institutions have to slow their pace into venture, right? So this concept of, you know, venture eating the world, right? It's like, it's eaten endowments portfolios where now like <clears throat> they, they're over, over allocated, which is yeah. counterintuitive. You're like, well, why don't you just put more money into venture, right? If it seems to be like well-performing, I think it comes down to some other, other considerations that maybe are out of scope, but you know, liquidity and other things, but. Um, no, if, if, if everyone's sort of marking their own books and there's a lot of asterisks, <laughs> how are you selecting the managers you want to work with? What's, what's your process for sort of filtering and, and stack ranking? It, it sounds like you like to get involved and get working with them before you really make a commitment. Yeah. So cool water has really been built for that. It's, it's trying to co-build emerging managers. And I think you have to sign up for that experience, right? Not everyone wants that. Um, I do think there's a level of accountability there where like if you're building in a more transparent way, not transparent in terms of like posting something on X, but transparent in terms of like, hey, you know, I can open up to you in a safe space and tell you how I'm building this. You ask the question around like the actual portfolio assets. That's a little bit of a different um, perspective. I think you shouldn't be marking your own books. Know your companies well, have the information rights, be talking to the founders, talking to other people at the company, be able to talk about your companies and talk about like the progress and understand kind of, right? Like you're trying to get to the next round right? Like you're trying to build a, a real business, a viable business. Like the goal of venture isn't to keep on spending venture capital dollars, right? Yeah. To grow. It's to like, at some point achieve profitability and, you know, self-sustainability. So if, if people agree to that assumption, then there is this element of like, Hey, can you talk about your business with respect to that outcome? Yeah. And if you can, that's what LPs want to hear, right? This is venture. You're again, like you're doing that zero to one, like you're creating something. Creation takes a little bit more time than just like grabbing a profitable company and kind of, you know, um, you know, creating some synergies um, across the company and like demonstrating like, you know, higher margin and, and potentially, um, you know, higher EBITDA or something. It's, it's a different game. And so I think LPs recognize that. I think the tough part of this market is like getting LPs inspired that emerging managers and VC and early stage VC is still really interesting, right? So to close winter, um, one last question I had is just, um, what are the trends and shifts that you anticipate in the industry in the coming years for the rest of this decade? And how do you think, uh, you know, cool water is preparing for them? Yeah. So this is a really good question. It's, um, let me just consult my crystal ball. Give me a second. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Great. Got the answers. Um, so everyone should place their bets on red. Um, 
the yeah the future is kind of impossible to predict what i'm seeing now is some consolidation right i think the world of 2021 is different than the world of 2023 it's only been two years right and that's a very short time in the, in the period of venture but it changed fairly quickly um, on the fund formation side i'm seeing more operators like more founders start do fund formation start investment firms then i think in the past there was more even distribution from like founders versus like spin outs from traditional firms mm -hmm. so i think maybe those people who are spinning out now have more founder mentality and they're kind of starting something um but it takes like a uh like a more focused disciplined personality i think to spin out in today's tough market um so again fund formations down which isn't necessarily a bad thing um there is some consolidation going on and people thinking about consolidation with whatever the number is now 7500 plus vc firms that are kind of in the ecosystem you should expect that especially if you have people that want to scale yeah. and again like you can have the you can have the you know pivot north or harrison metal version of a vc firm you can have the benchmark ver version of a vc firm you can have the sequoia andreessen version of a vc firm right like there are different sizes and there are different strategies like not everyone has to like scale up to be the biggest firm ever um so you can have people that say like hey I don't need to consolidate. I'm really good. I'm executing on this strategy. It's niche. I'm doing it well. The portfolio construction is dialed in. My network's dialed in. My strategy's dialed in. I'm just going to rinse and repeat. So you're seeing some of those people, but there's also people that are slightly more ambitious. That's, mm -hmm. that's an unfair statement. Those people who are doing that are ambitious. They just have decided on that strategy. There yeah. are other people that are ambitious in terms of they want to scale to a bigger uh, AUM. And like, they're thinking of like, okay, I'm at 20 or 40. How do I get to a hundred? What's the right team composition, right? So again, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You probably see more focus when well, the consolidation means like putting together the right teams, right? I think that's kind of the core concept here. It's like, what's the right organization I need to deliver, to build a better firm and to deliver a better outcome for my LPs, right? And it becomes more challenging as your fund size increases. So like the bar almost increases at the same time as your AUM is increasing, right? Like you have to get better and you have to think about outcomes in a different way, right? Where you can be a little bit more flexible with a smaller fund. Like you can be less flexible with the bigger fund and that skill set has to change and that team composition has to change and potentially the strategy has to change, right? So when consolidation is happening, I think you'll see more of that over the coming years. I think you'll also see, right? Like if, if, it, if something's easy, Right. Uh, and fund formation, like the the barrier to entry has been lower and lower over the last 10 to 15 years. It's been it's very easy to start a fund. Right. Like you don't need any credential. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to come through cool water. You just need to, like, flip a switch. And all of a sudden, like you you have a fund. Um, so this is something I've been thinking about and kind of seeing this in terms of behavior right now which is some of these funds don't think about it. And again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like I'm not judging here. Like some of these funds don't need to do an N plus one fund. And so they're kind of like, this is a good fund, right? And LPs, like the institutional LP perspective is like, I'm going to invest and I'm going to do, I'm going to back you up for three funds, right? So the expectation is if they invest, they want you to do at least three funds, right? And that is a 20 year commitment. Um, if you do one fund, it's like a three to five year investment period. Got to manage it out. But I am starting to like see the writing on the wall for that a little bit where people are like, hey, 
when you know the running was good, jump in, right? But now that there's some dynamics that are changing, it's harder to fundraise, like the cost of service providers is going up. This is a big thing that we're going to hear more and more about over the next like three to six to 12 months. And that's going to become a thing in the market very soon. Like the cost of service providers is going up. So all of a sudden it's not even like cheap. Like the barriers to entry are a little bit higher again, right? It's going down because like it's super easy, right? It's that like, hey, I've got the freemium version. And now it's all of a sudden it's like the paid version has been turned on. Uh Uh-oh, right? Like I'm over my skis. And so there's a level of like, if you don't set that intention to build an institutional firm, there was a level of like mismanagement that's gone on where I think you, you probably saw this with like, you know, this shutting down of a certain SP, SPV service, right? Like yeah. where it's like things when they're more expensive, you know, if it's too expensive, what happens and you run out of cash, like the business kind of shuts down. So mm-hmm. there probably will be some of that that plays out, which is a, which is an effect of, I think, not understanding what you need to manage or properly managing portfolio construction and reserves where some people like don't have the ability to pay for their funds beyond like a certain number of years. Like they've yeah. already overspent the fees and now it's like, who's going to be paying for that, right? Shut it down, maybe try to sell it. You pay for it, right? Like you go back to your LPs and kind of say like, hey, like can we figure out a solution here? But I think there's, some, there's been some mismanagement in the market that also has to flow through over the next couple of years. Um, again, which is why like, I think, you know, something like Cool Water should exist, which is like help people understand what those things are as quickly as possible. That's just like mm-hmm. my personality, which is like, go deep, understand it so you know what to manage. But I think in 2020, 2021, you did have like these, this fund formation at such a prolific rate that you had people come in that are now kind of being like, oh, and now I need to understand management, right? Yeah. Um, and understand these like core concepts of what LPs have known for decades, right? And this is how they kind of allocate capital into managers that are thinking about that stuff and are treating it professionally. So yeah, consolidation, I think there's a move towards like better management. Um, I think um, there's, there's probably a move towards increased specialization as well, where, I mean, this has been happening for a while, but why doesn't like LPs keep asking, why does a new fund have to exist? And so I do think there's kind of this increased push towards, you know, markets are so relevant, certain markets are so big. It used to be, you know, the LP perspective was if you're a fintech fund or a healthcare fund, you can be specialized, but now it's like, you can be in other markets as well, right? And how many of those markets are there, right? There is this kind of move of, you know, you can be specialized. You may have to be specialized in order to compete, right? Like if you're writing a PhD and like, you're like, I'm going to do it on this big level topic. And the, you know, your advisor's like, well, actually that's too broad. Well, how about this? And they're like, that's still too broad. And you're like, how about this? And like, still too broad. And you're like, okay, well, I guess everyone has written on this topic like that I was thinking I was going to write on. And so like your dissertation is like one like very focused thing. And then you're like, is anyone ever going to care about this ever? And maybe you can raise a venture fund on top of that. But I think it's kind of similar where you've seen, again, like the cottage industry to like this big industry happen. And like people are like, okay, it's so big now and software is touching so many pieces of the world and all these corporates have to have a digital strategy. Like what happens there? Who's kind of like creating the innovation, creating the companies that are going to help that digital transformation? Like it does seem like it's going to be early stage venture funds. And so it feels like you're going to see probably an increased focus on, on specialization. And you're starting to see some data. I don't know if I'd like put that out there as 
you know, you could raise a fund on top of it, but some data were like specialized funds are outperforming. We'll see like if that continues to hold up, right? Venture data is always a little wonky. Um, but I think, uh, I think that's going to be another trend over the next couple of years. Well, uh, thanks again for, for joining us, Winter. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was fun to be here. See you later, alligator. After portfolio tile, investing with a smile.